Well, I think the simplest definition is simply anybody who has ever been here has developed a passion for this amazing place. Well, I think the people is the key. Uh, they're the secret ingredient, which makes Sugarloaf so different. Um, I guess there's a, like a kinship with other people who ski here. There's a pride in the mountain and the community. There's a large spirit of charity also. Uh, there's a lot of giving support a lot of the community efforts, but also causes that are important to Sugarloafer. We also have our share of characters, and that's what makes Sugarloaf uniquely different anywhere else I've ever been. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Welcome to part one of a two-part podcast on the most kick-ass ski area in the Northeast, Sugarloaf. Explain why this is a two-parter shortly, but first, a reminder to subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter for free at skiing.substack.com. Also this, the Storm Skiing podcast is brought to you in part by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a biannual, large-format print title celebrating mountain culture. Head over to mountaingazette.com and enter code EASTCOAST, one word, for 10% off your entire order. And yes, that includes annual subscriptions in addition to their vintage magazine covers that make great art for your home office or living room. The Mountain Gazette returns in November in print form for the first time in eight years. These issues will sell out. Grab your subscription today over at mountaingazette.com. Mountain Gazette, when in doubt, go higher. Episode 23, Carl Strand, President and General Manager of Sugarloaf, Maine. Part 1, Sugarloaf 2030. Y'all yeah, on that. Sugarloaf is the best ski area in the Northeast. No offense, JP. You get more snow, but Sugarloaf has a bracket basin. And that's just part of it. There are a lot of good mountains in the Northeast, but none have the sheer variety and depth of terrain that Sugarloaf has. Just an awesome, awesome experience if you hit it right. As I also said, this is a two-part podcast. This is the first episode recorded on, and this is the real date, Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. That was the day the NBA postponed its season, and the day before the NCAA canceled March Madness. In other words, it was when the whole world started falling apart, and none of us knew what the hell was going on. But I'd been up at Sugarloaf the week before, and had a great time up there. A great time. I did get shut out by Windholds one day, but that's what bars are for. I had a few beers, had some lunch, talked to some locals, crushed a nap. It was great. I got after it the next day, though. Also, took a tour around the resort with Carl while I was up there, and with all that fresh in my head, we went ahead with the interview. I planned to put this out on Friday, March 13th. But things started spiraling out of control here in New York, and I just couldn't get it done. And by the time I could focus on it again, it felt wrong to release it, at least then. There was too much else going on, and skiing was the furthest thing from everyone's mind. So I emailed Carl, and I was like, look, man, we got to hold off on this. As many of you know, I pivoted to a series of COVID-focused podcasts that were shorter and more timely for most of March and April and part of May. But I didn't want to let this one go. Sugarloaf is too big, too important. So we decided to end it right with a second conversation focused on the shutdown and the aftermath. And that one's coming soon. 
sometime in the next couple of days. But this one, which we recorded in March, is all about Sugarloaf's huge 2030 plan, which is going to transform that mountain. And I just want to make the point that even though this conversation is about six months old at this point, it's all still accurate as far as the mountain's long-term plans. So I wanted to make sure that all of you could hear it. Let's go. My guest today is the president and general manager of Sugarloaf, which sits on the second highest mountain in the state of Maine. With a 2,820-foot vertical drop and 162 trails and glades spread across 1,240 skiable acres, Sugarloaf is one of the largest ski areas in the eastern United States. Its snow fields are the only lift-serviced above treeline terrain in the east. He is also the president of Ski Maine, a nonprofit trade association representing the state's alpine and Nordic ski industries. Carl Strand is my guest. Carl, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stuart. It's wonderful to be here. Let's get right into Sugarloaf 2030. Huge plan, so much going on. The centerpiece of that is the West Mountain expansion. This is going to be transformative. 450 acres, mostly blue and green terrain. You already have in Bracket Basin and Burnt Mountain some of the best expert terrain in the east. How will West Mountain complement that with this huge expansion of terrain for novice and intermediate skiers? Well, I think part of what makes Sugarloaf great is its spectacular variety of terrain. We feature some of the most challenging terrain in the east, as as well as some of the best learning terrain. And then maintaining a balance is also key to that, and, uh, and that balance is going to be the key focus to our West Mountain expansion. Now, as you said, Bracket Basin was transformational. It opened up a large area of gladed skiing for experts and intermediate skiers. Opening Bracket also led to developing Burnt Mountain, which is our sister peak, and eventually to our cat skiing operations, which have been very well received. West Mountain Expansion will do the same thing, expanding our learning and intermediate terrain considerably. Along with the press release that announced this expansion, there was a conceptual map of trails laid over West Mountain. Should we take this as a basic footprint of where you may put new trails, or, or is this, or are these the paths? Has this been decided? No, it hasn't been decided yet. That plan was more of an uh, initial conception plan for the area. We're trying to create a balance between a number of elements, the new trails, ski in, ski out, real estate, uh, the new parking lots, the new high-speed lift, and a tubing park that we, we're going to put in there as well. So I think we had a good first pass of the design, but there will be refinements and modifications. Now, you actually had a tubing park before. You shut that down. Why did that not work out, and how is this one going to be different? Well, what's different about the new one is it's going to be about 600 feet long, 400 feet will be the tubing park um, itself, and then about 200 feet of a runout, uh, which allows people to slow down. Unfortunately, in the old scenario, which was up near a Whiffle Tree, there wasn't really a runout, so we had to use netting and so forth to catch the skiers, and that wasn't always the best way of doing it. The new terrain, it's going to be mostly green and blue. There's a kind of steep section that runs around that part of the mountain, right, that you're going to have to work around? Correct. We effectively call that chicken pitch. It's actually a part of the mountain where there's ledge. It's like the only place on the mountain that's this ledge. And it's pretty steep uh, pitch there. So we, a couple of the trails that we're looking at, or at least one of them, would be a green trail that would go around there and really create a, a real green experience, at least from uh, Bullwinkles, which is our mid-mountain restaurant, and then actually all the way up to the top of Timberline. So it'd be effectively there'd be a green trail starting at the top of the mountain that would go all the way down to our new lift. In that chicken pitch, are there any trails 
that exist right now that cross that so that people who are familiar with the mountain can get a sense of what you're talking about there? Tote Road, uh, it's mostly the trails that are right below Bullwinkle's, our restaurant. So in addition to all these blue and green trails that will be cut, are, are you planting some glades in between? You have glades all over the mountain, obviously, but uh, but there's a lot of wooded area, it looks like, in that conceptual trail map. So do you plan on, on thinning out some of the trees in there and adding some glades just for people who want to duck in and out for fun? Uh, we are. There's actually a bunch of natural glades in there right now that people are already using. Um, but we'll create glades where it makes sense and, you know, for the novice and, and also for maybe some of the parts of chicken pitch too. So the glades that already exist, you're saying that's just area where the the, the forest is, is thin enough for either because of the kind of trees or, or because it's uh, like maybe there's a fire there. It's just, just stuff that you could you could slap a sign on it right now and folks could ski it. Correct. And as far as the process to design these trails, did did you do that all in-house? Take me through the process of coming up with this map that we saw when you announced Sugarloaf 2030. Well, we did engage a third-party consultant to help us with it. There were some considerations with wetlands and so forth and the topography of it, chicken pitch and some of these other pitches. So they helped us lay it out, but we also were sensitive to where the real estate was going and then how we could craft these trails so that it could go to our parking lots, too, so we can allow ski and ski-out access to our parking lots. Do you have a sense of what the vertical is going to be on that, uh, on West Mountain from top to bottom? It's uh, 1,700. Going up to 1,700, the press release promised a, a sort of signature lift. Any hints you can give us on what we might expect there? Well, we're giving a lot, there's a lot of thought being put into that. There's a number of different options we're looking at. It will be a detachable high-speed lift. Uh, we're not sure exactly if it's going to be, uh, you know, a four-pack or a six-pack at this point, um, but um, we're, we're exploring all those different options. So have you ruled out an eight-passenger lift like the kind we're going to see at Loon next year and that we've already seen out at Big Sky, both fellow Boyne Mountains? Yeah, I don't think an eight-pack would, uh, is, is, would be the right lift in that location, maybe, maybe in a different location on the mountain, but I think that would just there's too much capacity for what that area is. Is it a matter of the number of trails that come off the top or, or the sheer acreage or, or how much you think it'll be used? Or what, what, what goes into that calculus of deciding that an APAC is just too much? Well, I mean, the old rule of thumb was how many seats you have, you need to have those many trails off the top of your lift. I know there's, there's more uh, sophisticated metrics now that are being used, but that's, that's usually the rule of thumb when you're trying to design a lift and, how, and the capacity. It sounds like it's going to be a chairlift. There's a lot of nostalgia among sugar loafers for the gondola. Uh, when Stephen Kircher, Boyne CEO, came on the show, he was pretty clear that, that it wasn't practical to run a gondola top to bottom along the original main mountain uh, because of the windhold situation. Could something like that make, make sense on West, or, or is that just not appropriate for sugar loaf? I, I don't think in that in that scenario in West Mountain that a, a gondola. I mean, it's, it's it's probably cost prohibitive to put a gondola in there. I think more of a detached high speed would work better in that situation. And as far as where the lift is going to go, that the path is already cleared, right? Yeah, I mean, this isn't a new idea. This idea has been floating around Sugarloaf for a while, developing West Mountain. And actually, uh, back in 2006, uh, there was a line cut, survey line cut for a lift. We didn't, one wasn't put in, but this thought, this process has been around for a while. So when you put that in, that was kind of seeing the feasibility of, could we develop West Mountain? Is this terrain appropriate for skiing? Could it hold a lift, like that kind of thing? 
Correct. You know, and you have to also look at where the different streams are and crossings and wetlands and so forth. So there's a lot of a lot of thought that's been put into that. You know, it's actually something I never gave a lot of thought to because if you're if you're making a trail, you can kind of go with the contour of the mountain, right? You can you, you can kind of change with the fall line and it can bend off. Especially in New England, we see a lot of these twisty, windy trails. With a lift, you don't have that option. I mean, it, with the exception of a rare angle lift, um, you, you have to go straight up. How hard is it to find that path straight up a mountain like Sugarloaf, which is a pretty rowdy mountain, straight up the mountain where you can actually support something as complicated and something that has to work as efficiently and continuously as a chairlift? Well, I mean, it's easier when you have a blank uh, pallet, kind of like what West Mountain is, because you don't have to worry about crossing trails and so forth. Um, when you have established trails, one thing you don't want to, or you want to avoid is crossing the trail. The uh, lift is more susceptible to the wind, but also it, it helps, it prevents um, snowmaking or hinders snowmaking. And just as far as the topography of the mountain goes, you mentioned that chicken pitch. Is that is that the kind of thing like this? These sudden steep parts of the mountain you have to consider because you know the, the lift towers. Uh, you, know, you have to figure out where you can put them in relation to one another to keep that lift moving. Correct. Yeah, we'll we'll hire an engineer to help us do that. Uh, but you're absolutely right. The topography of it, especially large pitches like that, do play into factoring where how the lift is going to be aligned. And Boyne seems to work mostly with Doppelmeyer. Is that the plan here, or have you not committed to a uh, oh, lift vendor yet? We haven't really committed, but they do do a lot of work with Doppelmeyer. Seems to be a lift that we uh, have a good um, relationship with, or a company we have a good relationship with. As far as the lift goes, have you you don't have any bubble lifts yet on Sugarloaf. Have you considered that for West Mountain, just something enclosed to keep the weather out? Well, like I said, we're we're looking at a lot of different options. Uh, you know, uh, weather is an issue here at Sugarloaf. I know you can attest to that when you were visiting here. <laughs> right. So uh, you know, there's all we're looking at every kind of option and just trying to figure out what lift makes sense there. 450 acres is a lot of terrain, and you will have that one alpha lift there. Um, any thought being given to possibly some lower-level lifts, some carpets, uh, some low-rise chairs, something to service some of that lower-level beginner terrain? Well, I think I think we're got, we are going to put a carpet for the uh, Tubi Park, but uh, at this time we don't have any other lifts planned for the lower-level terrain. So it looks like that lift, whatever it ends up being, will uh, be constructed starting next summer, 2021. Uh, any any sense, any timeline on when you may be announcing what that lift would be? I think maybe next winter we'd be able to announce that, hopefully. And as far as the trail footprint, do you think that'll be – is that what you have to iron out before you decide the lift, or are there other factors that go into that? First, you, you do the lift first, and then the other factor with the trail setup is really uh, real estate and the uh, parking lots we're looking at, along with the where the location of the uh, uh, tubing park is going to be. And you mentioned something interesting to me, which is that you really want to avoid a situation where a chairlift sits in the middle of a trail, and, and you have that survey line. But as the trails cross underneath, how important is it for you, because you have a fresh slate right now, how important is it for you to keep those towers just completely out of the trails to just avoid any potential hazards, if that's even possible? Well, I, I, we try to avoid it as much as possible you know, for the two reasons. One is when it's in the middle of a trail, it's more susceptible to wind. But the other thing, we're trying to use more and more tower guns for our snowmaking. And if, if there's a lift in the middle of the trail, it's, it's, uh, it's harder to make snow with the tower guns. You have to use ground guns. So we try to avoid that. And that's because it ices up the chairs? Correct. Interesting thing about West Mountain, you actually, you own all the land, 
And I guess as an outsider, I was just thinking, okay, you own the land, you do whatever you want with it. But it's not that simple, right? Uh, you still have to submit plans for environmental review uh, to the state. I don't know to what extent the federal government is involved. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about that process of submitting for a large project on land that Sugarloaf owns? What is the state looking for to help sure. bring that uh, development there? We have to we uh, submit, submit the plans as a bunch of this an application process, and then it's a permitting process. The state's looking for any kind of environmental impact, whether it's wetlands or some, or whether it, it, there's uh, animals there or insects or plants that would be, av- be affected by any kind of uh, construction that we would do. So they do a, a extensive study on that, and then uh, if there's anything we need to modify, they get back to us. And then they've been really good to work with, and usually, you know, we, we can resolve any kind of issues that that present themselves. In some cases, ski resorts have to do some kind of land swap or something, even to develop land they own. Uh, Sugarbush, for example, over in Vermont, in order to build that Slybrook Express between Lincoln Peak and Mount Allen, they had to basically forego development in Slybrook Basin forever, uh, even though they own some of that land. Uh, just to concede to those environmental impacts that you were mentioning earlier, did you have to make any, any of those kind of concessions in this case? No, as long as you avoid the wet areas, you don't have to do that. Um, it's when you want to build over a wetland or develop it, then you have to make those kind of concessions. It's, so at the bottom of West Basin, you're going to have 75 new residential units, or sorry, West Mountain. Um, are these going to be homes, condos, and mix? Can you talk a little bit about what you're building there and, and what the impact of that will be? Sure. You know, the plan is to have a mix of single-family home lots. They're all going to be ski in, ski out. Um, some vertical construction, meaning some condos and some townhouses. And then all those will be uh, ski in, ski out. One thing I was struck by skiing there recently, just chatting with folks on the chairlift, was you have a very large community of retirees, like folks who can sort of reverse snowbirds. They spend their winter up there, and they seem to ski every single day from, from what they were telling me. Is this a large population of folks that you see living on this mountain, or, or do you see those sorts of condos that are skiing and skiing go more toward the uh, vacation crowd that do the, the quarter shares or the or the uh, rotating rentals? Uh, I You know, I, I don't think it will be vacation shares or rotating rentals. Sixty percent of our business is season pass people, so they're very committed. I mean, yeah. a lot of them, maybe it used to be second homes, and now they're, they're like you said, reverse snowbirds and staying here. But I don't, I don't, we don't have any plans to do any of that timeshare swap, at least in the West Mountain. So a big part of the 2030 plan is really upgrading Sugarloaf's chairlift infrastructure. I'd like to go through these chairs one by one and just get your thoughts on them, even if you don't have firm plans. Um, There's going to be a replacement and upgrade of the Timberline Summit Lift, and you're actually going to extend that lift all the way down to Bullwinkles. Is it going to have the same terminal? No. um, We're looking to replace that lift. Uh, what we'd like to do, I mean, Timberline's the lift that takes us up to the summit. Um, and currently right now, the, the, the only way to really get there is through the super quad. So the idea is to put the bottom terminal below Bullwinkles, our, our mid, mid-mountain restaurant, so people can ski out of Bullwinkles and go up to the summit. But also you'll be able to ski from our new West Mountain lift over to this to Timberline and ski up to the summit too. So what effectively what it does is it allows a lot better traffic throughout the mountain and also to help develop the uh, Timberline Quad. We'll put some new um, trails in there and, and hopefully some glades in there, too. And the Summit Terminal will be in the same place, you think? Yes. Yeah. And, and so there's going to be new trail development off of that lift in addition to what is on that footprint that we saw 
uh, with Sugarloaf 2030, or, or was that all captured there? Uh, no, it would be additional. Right there, there was, there was a little bit, I think, that you could see um, some trails leading out of Bullwinkles, but uh, we do we need to do some more engineering on exactly where that terminal is going to be and then put some thought into where the trails would go. And do you have a sense of what sort of terrain we would see? Is that more blue-green terrain? Yes, yes. Yeah, that side of the mountain, that's a Timberline Trail. It's a, a green trail that takes you down to the Timberline Lift and actually extends all the way down to Bullwinkles. And then some glades in there, the, the pitch on there, is that a, sort of a black pitch? No, it's uh, more of a blue pitch. Yep. Oh, that's fun. Yep. It's, it's always nice to have those glades that you can practice on for, so you can work your way up to Bracket Basin. Um, as far as the lift itself, uh, are you looking to put a high-speed lift in there? Yes. And that current lift is 32 years old. That may still have some life left into it. Is this something that would make sense to move elsewhere on the mountain? Well, actually, that lift used to be a whiffle tree and was moved oh. over there. Um, it's got a, it's got a lot of miles on it too. I'm not sure what what we'll do with that lift when we come to that. It, we, we will see what the options are. So moving down to double runner, you have this sort of four lift configuration mid mountain. Skyline is your newest lift that's only a few years old, so I imagine that's staying put just as it is. Uh, double runner itself is a set of two double chairs dating to the early 70s, and they both actually run on the same tower, and then one of them extends up and drops off at the T-bar. I'm just saying all that uh, to orient folks who may be listening and aren't super familiar with the mountain. Um, what do you have in mind there? Do, do you like that, that staggered two-lift configuration? Is that, is that something that's sort of necessary operationally, or, or are you going to reimagine that whole cluster? Well, it is. It's a complex lift and services a lot of purposes. It's actually, you know, like you said, it's the mid mountain lift that takes you up the skyline. It's also uh, a lift that takes us to our uh, one of our beginning er, uh, learning areas. So it's very important. And then the long side of that goes up to uh, uh, the bottom of of our uh, ski racing hill, uh, where a lot we're used for training. We actually have a mid station where uh, skiers can get on and do laps over there. So that that lift's going to take a lot of consideration to figure out what the best alignment is to try to service all those needs. Do you think it might be a situation where you have to put two lifts in there? I don't know. I don't. The two doubles. I think we could figure it out. Um, there's, we've had a number of discussions, but I think we could do it with one lift. So that leads up to that T bar. A part of 2030 is to uh, put in a new surface lift in partnership with the Carabasset Valley Academy. Um, Sunday River did something similar with Gould Academy. They put in a T-bar this year, and uh, Dana Bullen, their GM over at Sunday River, told me on the podcast that that lift actually had the unanticipated positive effect of taking some of the pressure off their workhorse Barker lift. Um, so are you thinking that this T-bar would replace the current T-bar where it sits, or, or, or is it going to go somewhere else? I think it. We're, we're looking at different locations. It may go somewhere else. But what that this T bar would accomplish is similar to what happened at Sunday River. It would it would get us up to a point where we can get up into a lower narrow gauge and comp hill, which is uh, our training courses, and allow. I think we'll take some volume off of some of our other lifts, but this would be better, very beneficial for all the training that goes on there, especially with CVA. And do you think that this would? Are you looking to replace the current T bar? Because that that's it's a it's an unusual lift in that it crosses an active trail with a surface lift, which I don't know if I've really seen elsewhere, and, and I guess that's something that's probably grandfathered in, but is that something you would, the old T-bar, would you leave that in place? 
Uh, we would for now until we really figure out this new alignment, but that would be part of the consideration with any new T-bar that would go in. And as far as the Carabasset Valley Academy, can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what Sugarloaf's relationship to that institution is? Sure. It was founded in 1982. It was part. Of, it was helped founded with the Sugarloaf Regional Ski Educational Foundation, which was part of our ski club. It's a private school and offering college preparatory academics and competitive ski and snowboard training. Actually, they boast they have had 12 Olympics there, 39 national team members, 19 national titles. Some of the people that have graduated there and gone on to face Seth Westcott, who actually helps us and consults us with some of our uh, uh, building of trails and so forth. Bodie Miller went there, Kristen Clark, Emily Cook, and currently we have Sam Morse, who's a, a local here that's on the national ski team. And that sits right at the base of your mountain, doesn't it? Correct. So those kids, are they up there every single day all winter long? They are, yeah. They they, they uh, train during the day, and they have classes that are scheduled throughout the day and sometimes at night. It's a great partnership with them. Um, uh, they actually, uh, a few years ago, we redid the bottom of the Gandhi building and, and put in a new competition center with them and the ski club and the town, which is world-class. It's state-of-the-art. So it's a great relationship we have. And are the kids bashing gates all day, or do they let them loose in bracket basin once in a while, let them go explore? Well, they have they have different disciplines. Uh, there is a backcountry discipline that they do, which they're, they're back in, in bracket basin quite a bit. But, yeah, there's some free time that they get to ski the mountain. Absolutely. So shifting down to the super quad, one of the most immediate benefits of the West Basin expansion, or I don't know why I keep calling it West Basin, the West Mountain expansion, one of the most immediate benefits of putting a new lift in there is that it should take some pressure off the super quad. That is clearly the center of the resort. Uh, that's the lift that is most often backed up. Uh, if any place on the mountain does get backed up, you're planning on replacing and upgrading that lift. What can we expect to see there? Well, I think that you know that's a little bit further down than the, in the 2030 plan, and we're we're looking at different options there too. You know, uh, it's currently a four-pack. We looked at some other, maybe a six-pack. I think putting in the Timberline lift and re reconfiguring where that is will help the flow of Super Quad, and also like you mentioned, the West Mountain lift will help with the flow in the mountain. So uh, the congestion that's currently there will will not be there won't be as much, but we'll also look at you know what what the best uh, lift options are there. Using that number of trails to number of seats on the lift calculus that you mentioned earlier, is the current line of the Super Quad a place that could su potentially support an eight seater lift? Definitely a six, probably not eight, but definitely six. Super Quad is not a super old lift. It was uh, put in in 1994, I believe, from the numbers I've seen. Uh, but I imagine it has a lot of hours on it. I think that thing's probably running every minute that you're open. How much life does it have left? And would you look to rotate it to a, another part of the mountain, maybe a lower traffic area? We probably wouldn't relocate it on this mountain, but, um, you know, with the Boyne Network, perhaps it may have another home somewhere, but that was something we'll look at once we get closer to making that decision. So moving over near the other side of the mountain, you're looking to replace and upgrade King Pine. Um, that lift was out of commission a little bit last week. Uh, plan indicates that you'll actually research new alignments for a couple reasons, uh, mostly to help guard against wind holds. Um, what are the wind hold challenges you're facing now in King Pine, and what are some possible solutions to that? Well, King Pine after Timberline has second most wind holds. So that's exactly the type of lift I was talking about that goes across a trail. So the idea of a new alignment would be closer to Looker's right to the woods 
and so it wouldn't be exposed so much to the wind, but also make it easier to make snow on that on that haulback. So you're, you you would still keep it though on the haulback line, not move it over to ripsaw, maybe in between the trees. Well, that we are looking maybe between the trees. That's another option. So there's a couple of things we're looking at. We're also looking at maybe moving the bottom turn a little down a little bit lower, so that you can have better laps and, and bracket. So all those things are being looked at. And the top terminal, do you feel like that's in the right place? I do. Yeah. And there's been talk. Well, Stephen Kircher is another thing he mentioned on the podcast that you had considered. Uh, putting a lift into Bracket Basin. Is this, there's no mention of that in Sugarloaf 2030. Um, can you tell us about some of the options you've considered there and whether this is something we could see in the near future? Sure. Uh, well, Bracket Basin, there's some real estate land that we've targeted for development as well. It's it's uh, below, it's fine in the flatter area, but below where we currently pick people up for cat skiing. So to make that a true ski and ski out location, we necessarily would have to put a lift in there. So that was that was where the discussion started. That's been kind of put on the back burner right now with the West Mountain extension. Have you, when you were considering that, are, are you talking about a surface lift like a T-bar or or some sort of lower capacity chairlift? We were, we were looking at both the T-bar. There's some challenges with the terrain over there, but or a lower capacity, like you said. And I, I think there there may be some skiers when when you just said that you were going to develop bracket basin that might have. Uh, you might have got a little scared. Can you talk about what you mean by that exactly and, and what part of Bracket Basin that would mean? Well, it's 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 below where we currently pick people up for cat skiing. So it's 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 in an area where it's fairly flat. So it wouldn't interfere with any of the current glade skiing. So I think they would be happy with the location of that, the people that join skiing over there now. So it's all below the bottom terminal of King Pine? Moving on to snowmaking, another big part of not just Sugarloaf 2030, but any Boyne plan. Um, starting with West Mountain, is that going to be 100% snowmaking covered? Yes. Trails? Yes. Can you take us through just as a sweeping overview, the plant snowmaking upgrades under the Sugarloaf 2030 plan? Um, the, the goal I've read is to have all snowmaking trails covered each year by Christmas. So what is necessary to make that happen? Sure. Well, Christmas is a huge holiday for us, and in the past, if we've had years where there wasn't as much snow coverage, we can see that in our booking cycle for the following year. So the idea is to create, you know, have put together a snowmaking plan where we could have all the snowmaking trails by Christmas every year, which would give our guests the security that they know that they can have a good skiing experience on the holidays. So we kind of reverse engineer that, so how, what do I need to get there? Um, well, we, first we looked at, well, we need a, uh, a source of water. Currently right now we, we pull water by the Carabasset River, but we don't really have a reservoir that we pull from. So one of the things we're looking at is uh, actually already in the process of, of, of submitting approvals for that with DEP and so forth. Is There's an old um, earthen dam that was used for logging um, on the backside of the mountains called Caribou Pond Dam. Now, it's an old earthen dam with old crib works, and what we want to do is reconstruct that and, and, and put a, a new dam in there, which will allow us to have a water source for our snowmaking needs. And then the next part of that is we want to look at putting some booster pumps up on the mount, which would uh, help us with regulating the pressure through our snowmaking system. Right now, uh, it's difficult to make snow on the top of the mount and the bottom of the mount at the same time, so this will help us with that ability. And then um, looking at our pump house, which is down by the river, currently we pump out about 4.5 thousand gallons per minute, 
uh, we'd like to get up to 10,000 gallons a minute, so we'd have to reconstruct that pump house, put some new pumping in it, and so forth. And then along with that, uh, some new piping and valves on, on the hill, along with some low-E guns and click hydrants. But it's all about utilization and efficiencies. You can have as much water as you want, or you can pump, but if you're pumping that water and you're not making snow out of it, you're not efficient. So we're looking at the efficiencies as well. And you're looking to add new guns to upgrades, the, one, the ones you have? Uh, correct. We have a number of older guns that we wanted, and there's a program with Efficiency Main that helps support that. Um, but also we're looking at click hydrants, which are, uh, I think, um, Loon talked about that too. So they're hydrants that are clicked right into the water and air pipes, and you can manually open them and close them. It's a lot easier to get trails and guns going. But then eventually you can actually automate them. And are you using all the, the Boeing low-E technology? Correct, yep. When you say 100% of snowmaking trails covered by Christmas, can you give us a sense, does that mean everything outside of the glades, bracket basins, snowfields, or do you still have some some non-snowmaking trails on the main mountain itself? Yeah, that's about 90% of all our trails. I mean, we, we want to keep some of the trails natural. I mean, that's how we started way back when, before we had snowmaking. And I think people enjoy that, the natural snow trails. So there's a number of them there that we keep. We don't make snow on. Actually, sometimes we don't even groom. That people enjoy skiing. Moving on to RFID, will these gates be in place next season? Yes, they will be. Yeah. Are preparations underway already for that transition? They are. Um, you know, Loon obviously did it this year, um, but we've been working with Loon and all the other uh, resorts in the process of doing this. Um, so we're far ahead on this. How are you feeling about your frequent skiers just coming in and, and that being sort of a seamless transition? I mean, it, it's worked really well everywhere I've used it, so I, it seems to be well-tested technology, but how are you feeling about that? Well, I think this year we did some scanning. Uh, we had some new scanning technology, so I think it's that that started the process, so I think they've gotten used to that. So I think this will be uh, kind of an easy transition to go into uh, gates. So I want to talk about passes for a minute. This isn't really part of Boeing 2030, but last week Boeing announced the Platinum New England Pass. That's basically the season pass, the top-tier season pass for Sugarloaf, Sunday River, Loon. This year, that pass also includes an Icon Base Pass. That's an amazing benefit when you consider what an Icon Base Pass is, which not only is that five days at Killington, that's a season pass at Stratton and a season pass at Sugarbush. Uh, a season pass at Tremblant. There's a few blackouts on the Stratton and Sugarbush days. And then there's all that access out west. And those pass holders last year, they did have uh, extra days at Big Sky. However, this is a whole other level of benefits. Um, I realize this is a corporate-level decision that Sugarloaf didn't necessarily make, but can you give us some insight into Boyne's decision-making here and why they decided to add this benefit for their top-tier pass holders? Sure. Actually, it replaces our, our uh, Gold Plus Pass, and then the Gold Plus included um, uh, first track access, which has been very popular here at Sugarloaf for years and years, and then um, Loon and Sunday River started doing it last year. So really, it's just a new product that we're adding more value to what we already have, you know, just a way to get a new product out to our customers and get them with a relatively modest price increase, just a new product for them to enjoy. What's your read on the sugar loafers in, in the community? Are they excited about this benefit? It, it seems like, again, from the folks I was talking to on the lift when I was up there, it seems like they love their mountain, but they also love to travel. Oh, I think the initial reaction is very positive. 
it, yeah, it, it seems like you know as we move toward these larger multi-mountain passes, it, the, there's like an expectation of value there, right? So even though the New England Pass gave them a lot of access, it gave them a season pass to these two largest mountains in Maine and also Loon, and also days that appoints other mountains. This is really taking it to another level and basically giving you an adventure pass for the entire season. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. So you also announced yesterday Sugarloaf became just the second ski area in the Northeast uh, after Sugarbush to join the Mountain Collective. That pass gets you two days each at Sugarloaf and 21 other destinations for $469 half-off day tickets after that. Can you talk about the decision to join that pass and what the benefits are to Sugarloaf? Sure. Uh, for this, this one was a no-brainer for us. First of all, just a collection of resorts that are part of that pass. They're quite extensive and, have, and, and they're the best of the best. So we were very honored to be included in that group. An additional mountain collective and the icon allows us to reach a whole new group of skiers and snowboarders that we wouldn't otherwise be difficult and costly for us to reach. So moving back to 2030 and down the mountain, you have a really nice cross-country center that you manage, but you don't actually own. Can you talk a little bit about who owns that and what Sugarloaf's role is there? Sure. It's it's owned by the town of Carabasset Valley, as is our golf course, and we have long-term leases with uh, with the town to manage those. It's a great amenity. Both of them are to our resort, and, and uh, we really enjoy uh, both those amenities and managing them. So you're actually going to be adding snowmaking down at the Cross Country Center. The, the technology you're using down there is very interesting to me. Can you talk a little bit about the snowmaking technology you're putting down there and how that's different from the snowmaking guns that are up on the main mountain, the downhill mountain? Sure. Well, it's a partnership with the town. We're going to be looking at making snow there. They had made snow there in the past. Uh, there's actually an old pump utility there. And what they did in the past is they make snow in the parking lot and then try to chuck it into the trails. So we're looking at this round is to actually run a water line around with an electrical line and then use uh, uh, fan guns or modified fan guns to make the snow that we can move them around. And so the idea there is we want to uh, make, the, make the place more viable. We also want to track high-level Nordic races. And, and those guns just require water, right? Those aren't the forced air guns? Correct. And that's not technology you use on the main mountain? No, not currently, no. And what's the difference between, like, why is that better to use on the cross-country trails? Well, you just don't have to run the uh, the airline and have that cost of, of putting together a compression system for the air. So moving off the skiing for a moment, uh, lots of upgrades to parking, your real estate, uh, you got some real estate projects going. You'll be adding 450 new parking spaces. Where will these be, and how will these help skiers flow on and off the mountain? Well, the new one will be a 300-spaced parking lot will be right where our new tubing park is going to be. And then we're going to put another 150-spaced parking lot below where, our, where a lot of our parking lots are right now off our access road. And then we'll design the trail network in, uh, over in West Mountain to be able to, so, so customers can ski in and out of there. And then if they have their RFID passes, they can go right to the lift and will help with our shuttle system, too, and the congestion there. So as you're coming up the access road, those first two large parking lots to the right, you're saying you'll now be able to actually just ski away from your car right there, right down to the West Mountain Lift? Correct. And then with those two on the right, there's going to be one below that as well. So you're also considering a village expansion. What are you trying to achieve here, and what sorts of options have you considered? 
Well, we've been we've been working on our village uh, for a number of years now, just trying to get all the consistencies and, and the textures and colors and so forth. But what we're trying to do here is just to enhance amenities that we already have and then introduce some new amenities as well, but keep that feel of a central village. Is there existing infrastructure, parking lots, or such that would have to be moved or covered over in order to expand that footprint? No, not currently, no. And would you be looking to expand it toward the Superquad? Well, one of the one of the things we're looking at is putting another wing onto the hotel, which we'd have to partner with the hotel. But uh, that would that would go towards the uh, Super Quad. Um, and then there's plans later on, way past the 2030 plan, to to extend it around the Super Quad. But the current 2030 plan is just it's re- revitalizing the current village and then pass and then putting a a wing onto the current hotel. And what sort of level of development could we expect at the bottom of that West Mountain base? Will there be a lodge there? No, it would probably be a, uh, a guest service facility and probably some F&B for the uh, uh, tubing park. Uh, Bullwinkle's restaurant is on top of that new lift, and we're going to renovate that, too. That's part of our plan. So uh, those will have a lot of amenities that people need or use in the West Mountain facility. So that will be sort of like our main mountain lodge that people will use in that area. So you really want to keep most of your village development where it is now and and not split that village? Correct. I think that the part of what's great about Sugarloaf is the way it kind of funnels back down to the center village, and that's where people uh, go and congregate, and then where a lot of our restaurants are and so forth. And when we met last week when I was up there, you, you talked about the Children's Center down at the bottom of Whiffle Tree, and you said that that may not be the best location for it. Why is that, and how would you like to address that long term? Well, it's about convenience. Um, that's where our toddlers are, so it's, um, and uh, then the rest of our children's services are in our base lodge. So it's, incon- it's fairly inconvenient for families who have young children to drop them off at, in the Gandhi Village and then having to drive around and park again and go up to the base lodge for, to drop off their other kids. So the idea is to combine all those into one location, and we're looking at a number of different locations that, where that would make sense, but we haven't really made a decision yet where that's going to be. Right, so maybe maybe as part of that larger village build-out, you move that somewhere else and then repurpose the real estate that you have now? Correct. And, and you, you have a, you've done some, a lot of work on that lodge lately. You redid that sort of bar, restaurant, opera spot upstairs. Uh, Widowmakers, is that it? Yes, Widowmaker, yeah. Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that? That's a fairly new renovation, right? Sure, yeah. It hadn't been renovated, I don't think, since maybe 90s, um, so it was due. But it, one of the, one of the key aspects of it is upstairs is a loft um, part of the upstairs of that um, that restaurant, and we were able to create a deck that was out there and have people be able to access the deck, which has tremendous views. I know you were up there mm-hmm. of the whole mountain, which uh, just it revitalized that whole upper, upper part and, uh, and and made the whole experience really nice. So let's move to the top of the mountain. You're looking to do an upgrade to the Summit Building. I believe that was the old gondola terminal. Can you talk about the importance of that structure to Sugarloaf for your winter and summer business? Well, you go back to the nostalgia of the of the gondola, and that's a that's a stark reminder that we used to have one. But I, I think it's a building that's 
actually grandfathered, and it would be really difficult to construct a new building there. So what we're trying to do is kind of repurpose that in some manner for the winter and then hopefully in the summer too, maybe as an observation deck where you can uh, look and, and see you know, different uh, parts of uh, you know east, west, and north, south uh, of the view up there. I mean, like you said, we're the second largest uh, mountain in, in Maine, and the views there are spectacular when it's clear sky. So that that's that's part of what we're looking at doing there. Maybe maybe putting some facilities in there as well. Yeah, is there a potential to do like a food and beverage type of thing? They did have food and beverage there years ago. I mean, there there is. We'll look at that as well. Um, there's a lot of great ideas. There's some people want you know we're talking about putting a, con- a condo up there, which isn't very practical. But we 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 get a lot of great ideas for the use of that building. Are there any logistical complications with just getting things up and down there? Because it, it is, like you said, it's the highest mountain around. You do get a lot of wind up there. You know, oftentimes the top is inaccessible. Does that make it? Does that make it less practical to have that kind of full service facilities up there? Yeah, it would absolutely. So another part of 2030 is an expansion of your summer business, uh, including a mountain bike expansion. Um, can you give us a sense of of what you have planned to help grow out your all seasons business? Sure. Well, the mountain bike uh, that we have in the plan is is a lift access mountain bike tracks that would go over our new our new lift at West Mountain to the top, and then having uh, flow trails coming off of that. And we've worked with a consultant on that too, and we have a we have a plan that we're working on uh, to do that. But a big part of our summer business, or what's been growing in the in the region, is our mountain biking. A lot of it's centered down at the at the outdoor center, which is uh, where the Nordic Center is. And uh, it's a partnership with uh, Sierra Nimbo, which is our local bike club, and then the town of Carabasset to build trails. And our trail network is over 70 miles of trail. Um, mm. It rivals anything in New England. And uh, so we're trying to trying to connect that with lift mountain access, and also we have a number of trails that come from our baseline area down into that trail network. And how, how can you give us a sense of, of how that culture is gelling around that trail network that you have. Are you starting to see Sugarloaf thought of as, as a mountain bike destination? Maybe not as much as a ski destination, but is it trending toward that? I think it's trending toward that in the summer, absolutely. We're definitely seeing more people in the area in the summer. It's definitely driving just more traffic. Uh, we see that even in our base lodge area, in our village area, more restaurants are opening up year-round. We're getting we're getting some race events, bike race events, which are helping drive that as well. Speaking of biking, while it's on my mind, when I was getting on the Super Quad last week, I saw a little sort of snow bike, and it, it had a Rent Me sign on it, which made me think it, it looks like it's something that's sanctioned by the mountain. Can you talk a little bit about those snow bikes, what they are, and, sure. and why you have them on the slopes? Yeah, they're called Snow Ghosts, and uh, it was an initiative that we've done Boyne-wide, um, each of us got a little a fleet of about 12 to 13 snowgo bikes, and you have to take a class with our ski instructors to get certified to go on the lift. And actually, I've tried it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I did it with my sons, and uh, it's kind of intuitive, like skiing. So it's not that it's pretty easy to pick up, and it's a lot of fun. I, and I think it's gotten some legs, but uh, it's probably going to get more and more popular. How wild are you seeing people get with these? Are they taking them in the parks? Are they taking them in Bracket Basin? Uh, how how competent are people getting, or how how risky are they getting? Well, we don't currently allow them in the parks, um, but they've been actually a lot, uh, Brighton Mountains allowing them for years, and there are people out there of modified bikes, and they do take them in the parks and do flips and so forth. 
we're not there yet, but uh, we're just more on the beginning terrain and uh, the wiffle tree. So another big part of uh, of this 2030 plan is sustainability. You're joining all Boyne Mountains and working toward a goal of net zero carbon footprint by 2030. Can you take us through some of what Sugarloaf has in mind to try and achieve this? Sure. Uh, we have a lot of great people focusing on this all throughout Boyne. And also, um, Sugarloaf specifically, we have a new sustainability coordinator who's incredibly passionate about and driven. Probably the biggest thing we're looking at is uh, some new renewable energy sources. And we think there's some possibilities there. And uh, relatively, even in the, in the near term, can't get into the specifics yet, but we're very excited about it. It seems like you might be able to take advantage of the wind, or, or is a, a turbine on the top of that mountain not aesthetically something that you are considering? Well, we're looking at wind. We're also looking at solar. Um, those are the two that we're, we're looking at uh, currently. Maine right now uh, has passed a couple of bills where uh, solar energy, there's some uh, tax benefits uh, for that. So there's a lot of companies uh, looking to build farms at this point. So we've been discussing it, but we don't have anything specifically to uh, talk about at this point. So moving off the mountain to the people who animate it, let's talk about the Sugarloaf Ski Club, currently celebrating their 70-year anniversary. They played an important role in establishing the ski area and some of the institutions surrounding it. What can you tell us about the Sugarloaf Ski Club and their importance or their centrality to Sugarloaf? Sure. Uh, like you said, they're, they're going to celebrate their 70th anniversary they were actually the first one to cut the trail way back in the day in 1950, called Winter's Way. It was, after, it was named after Amos Winter, who was our first GM. And then uh, about five years later, the club voted to form the Sugarloaf Mountain Corporation. Um, so it was the first time it became a business. And then in 1968, uh, we talked about this a little bit, they uh, formed the Sugarloaf Region Ski Educational Fund. And the whole purpose of that is promoting junior skiing in the area. And they do a lot of... Um, fundraising for that on a yearly basis. And then uh, in 82, we talked about CVA was founded, and uh, part of that funding came from that Sugarloaf Regional Educational Fund. Uh, and then in 1995, three members of the board formed a main ski hall of fame, which is down in Kingfield, which is a neighbor, a little uh, uh, town a little south of us. So they're very active in not only Sugarloaf, but also promoting junior skiing and also the history of, of main skiing. And how closely do you work with them today just on, on general mountain issues? Like when you come up with the 2030 plan, do you, do you say, hey, hey, guys, run a draft by you. What do you think of this? Or or, or is it a little bit, uh, are they hands off with the business and, and, and they're more just sort of fueling the culture of the place? Well, we, we actually have uh, area business meetings that we uh, conduct at least four or five times a year. We go over some of our planning and uh, bring them in, in the into the process. And yeah, they, but they're not shy to talk about their opinions and so forth and uh, where they think. And they're, they're great resources. A lot of them are passionate sugar loafers that have been here a long time. So yes, they are. They aren't necessarily part of the initial process, but they do help us uh, refine and define it. So talk to me a little more about sugar loafers. It's a very unique, passionate group. They kind of define the place. I, you know, a, a lot of ski areas have very loyal followings. I, I think sugar loaf without question, has one of the strongest, not just in the Northeast, but in the entire country. How do you define the sugar loafer? Well, I think the simplest definition is simply anybody who has ever been here has developed a passion for this amazing place. But uh, but also I think it's anybody who has a sugar loaf sticker on their car. 
I mean, the mountain and terrain speak for themselves, but what does the sugar loafer add to the experience of being there? Well, I think the people is the key. Uh, they're the secret ingredient, which makes sugar loaf so different. Um, I guess there's a, like a kinship with other people who ski here. There's a pride in the mountain and the community. There's a large spirit of charity also. Uh, there's a lot of giving and uh, support a lot of the community efforts, but also causes that are important to Sugarloafer. We also have our share of characters, that, and that's what makes Sugarloaf uniquely different than anywhere else I've ever been. What do you think is behind that? Is it is it the fact that Sugarloaf's pretty remote? Is it the fact that the terrain is is really unique, really challenging? Is it the character of rural Maine? Is it is it a combination of all those things? Is, is it something else altogether? What is that like? secret sauce that kind of makes this group of, of super passionate people who love this mountain? Well, I think I think all those factor into it. Uh, there, there's a lot of history on the mountain, and that definitely feeds into it. The resort was founded by the ski club, so the, it's skiers who created the mountain, and that's the sense of pride ownership that you see with all Sugarloafers. In addition to that strong local culture, Sugarloaf is a, a true destination, and part of that is you know where it is, which is far from a lot of things. Um, but you've called it the only true destination mountain in the East. What do you mean by that? Well, I was really referring to to our sister resorts. We're more of a destination than they are, but we are pretty much the true destination in the East. And I think it's exactly what you said. It's a uh, we're we're fairly far away from any large population centers. And like um, you know, sixty percent of our ski revenue comes from season pass holders, so they're very committed to up here. We look at our average stay is longer than most uh, when people do come here, so it's a commitment to get here, and that makes our bed base but really important. Um, so that's why this uh, this West Mountain expansion is very important to us. And you mentioned that the folks who visit Sugarloaf. You get very high scores in that customer satisfaction. Can you talk a little bit about those scores and and, and what that means. Sure. So there's it's called Net Promoter Scores and a Boeing uh, company why we measure that. And the one thing that we measure of there's a number of different questions, but the the one we would you recommend Sugarloaf to someone else? Uh, that's the that's the key of the Net Promoter. And we consistently are top in the in the company on that, and we're very proud of that. And I think a lot of that plays to just uh, the community here, the Sugarloafer spirit. And when people come here, they just feel relaxed and they feel welcome and they feel like they're going to have a, a enjoyable time. Yeah, there's a real sense of place there, and, and I think that's more and more important in the ski world these days as as things get, on paper at least, more and more consolidated and corporatized. It's important to have that, that feeling that you're someplace unique, and, and Sugarloaf definitely has that. Um, it, it, it's a unique mountain that you actually own all the land, and that saves you quite a bit of hassle as far as um, permitting and, and, and leasing and all that stuff, but but you're also surrounded by a kind of unique collection of lands. Can you kind of can you talk about and help orient people to to the landscape that you're sitting in? Sure. Well, you know, anytime we do any kind of expansion, especially this, you know, some of the sugar loaves worry they worry about if we're getting too big. But um, the actually the, we're we're kind of an island here. We're surrounded by state land. There's some federal land and Penobscot nation uh, nation land. On either side, there's also um, some town land, so we can't grow too big. Um, we're kind of we're kind of set where we are in terms of this island, so we we can grow and be sustainable, but we're never going to be one uh, too big of, of a place where people don't want to come. 
And, and though you own that backside, that is pretty much a no-go zone. Uh, the terrain looks pretty inviting over the rope line. But why would you advise folks, especially tourists who don't know their way around there, to stay out of that? Well, pretty much you're guaranteed a night out in the wilderness if you go back on that side. Uh, it's really hard to get back there. It's hard to find the person once they do get back there. We do. We have put a campsite back there with some wood that we that we can uh, uh, get people to go to if it's late in the day, so they can keep themselves warm. But there's locals don't even go back there. It's it's nearly impossible to get back if you get down past those ropes. You mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking about West Basin. You already have a pretty strong bundle of green and blue terrain. West Basin will expand that even further. Uh, one of the things that I think Sugarloaf doesn't get a lot of credit for is how good of a mountain it is for families because everything comes back to one place, right? Even though the mountain is so big and the ski is so big, the West Basin will change that a little bit. But can you talk a little bit about how the setup of the mountain does lend itself to that families of different levels being able to ski together? Sure. Um, you know, I think even with the West Mountain, I don't think it will change it that bit big because there's, you're just one ski ride lift away from getting back into the center of, this, of, the, of the village. We have some, uh, some best learning terrain all around our base lodge. That's where uh, uh, the step process of the Never Evers and then the, the next level, it's all around the base lodge. And then what, our Whipple Tree Quad has great green and blue trails uh, and also we have a beginner terrain park over there. So there's a great amount of green and blue and, and learning trails right around our base lodge. So as I mentioned, you're, you're not only uh, president of Sugarloaf and GM of Sugarloaf, but also president of Ski Maine. Tell us a little bit about Ski Maine. What is it and what is its mission? Sure. Well, it's a nonprofit organization. It's made up of uh, 16 alpine areas in Maine, uh, 20 Nordic areas, and then we also have an association business member. There's about 20 of those that, that can join as well. And uh, collectively, we speak with one voice, you know, regarding legislation and policy issues that could have any potential effects on any of the scheme members. We also uh, put on a New England Summit every fall. It's an annual trade show and educational conference. This year, it's going to be at Sunday River. Uh, we also work with the media and, uh, and the main office of tourism regarding messaging, uh, with our members and trying to promote uh, winter activities, skiing and, and Nordic, and uh, we're also a member of the Maine Hospitality and, Tur and Tourism Alliance. So there were a couple of, of downhill Maine ski areas ended up canceling their seasons this year. Uh, Mount Jefferson in late January canceled its season. That area has no snowmaking. Um, Mount Eaton, or Eaton Mountain rather, which is nearby, also suspended operations before the season started. Is this the sort of thing that Ski Maine would look at and see, hey, how can we maybe help these places get online next season? Right. Well, those, those, those that you mentioned, they rely on, on volunteers to run them and also natural snow. And you know the kind of year we've had this year, if you didn't mm -hmm. have snowmaking, you were struggling uh, with the uh, rain events and the warm and freeze. So, But we do help them. We help them in the summertime. The, both those mountains, we, we have sent help in the past cutting their trails, helping them with equipment, repairing equipment. So that is something that Ski Maine does, but uh, more importantly, Sunday River, Sugarloaf, and uh, a number of other ski areas help with the, with the smaller mountains to help them uh, with, with challenges that they may have. When you look at these areas that have no snowmaking, as Sugarloaf 
rotates into new snowmaking equipment and you discard the obsolete equipment, is there a chance of moving that equipment to these smaller areas that don't have snowmaking, even if it's outdated, just to just to help them keep going? Uh, we have done that in the past, you know, um, and there's, you know, we, we work on whatever way we can, whether it's uh, snowmaking or grooming parts or, or just actually just lending a hand and um, turning some wrenches. So just down the road from you, looks like Saddleback will be back online next winter under new ownership if all goes well. They're planning on putting in a new high-speed quad to replace their Rangely Double, which I think will help out a lot. Uh, can you talk about the importance of getting that ski area up and running? They'll be the third largest ski area in Maine. It, it's not good for any ski uh, for ski industry for any mountain of that size to go out of business. Uh, I think the local economy relies on the business of the mountain that generates for at many levels. I think the community will benefit the most from Saddleback reopening, and of course, all the skiers that love to ski there. Yeah, the important as I look at Saddleback, the thing that struck me most is it's such a great ski mountain. If you wanted to cut a mountain like that today, you you couldn't do it. There, there's almost no chance anywhere in New England that you could get approval to do it. So it makes it extra important that we keep the Saddlebacks of the world alive, right? I agree. I mean, like I said, I think it's it's not good for the ski industry for any mountain that size to go out of business. So Maine has two of the largest ski areas in the East Coast, obviously Sugarloaf and Sunday River. Um, it also has a bunch of really teeny tiny guys, uh, Titcomb, Spruce Mountain Ski Club, Quaggy Joe, Powderhouse Hill, Pinnacle Ski Club, Lost Valley, Herman Mountain, Baker. A lot of these are rope tow operations run mostly by volunteers. Can you talk about the importance of these mountains to places like, like yours, to Sugarloaf, and, and why it's important for you to chip in and help support them? Yeah, I think they're important because, you know, they're mountains that uh, people get exposed to skiing, and hopefully, you know, someday they'll come and try our mountain too. But they're also really important to the communities that are in. Like you said, a lot of volunteers. It gives, every, it gives people a sense of community. Uh, there's, a, you know, races and so forth that go on there. It, it, it's it's important just for for skiing in general, but uh, also for the communities, these small communities where where these uh, resorts are. And you have some really unique ski areas in Maine, uh, Camden Snowbowl, for example. It's sitting almost directly on the Atlantic Ocean. It's a really stunning experience to ski that. Uh, you have, you know, a, similar to the sugar loafer culture, you have the angry beavers over at Black Mountain who thin out the glades. And, and assist uh, assist the actual Maine mountain with doing that. What are some other ski areas that folks ought to check out in Maine? Well, I, I, I would check them all out, you know, um, as, you know, president of Ski Maine. But um, one that uh, Shawnee Peak has a rich history. I don't know if you've looked into that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a great it's a great mountain down in Bingham, uh, Brighton, excuse me. But uh, all of these, like like you said, Camden Snowball, there's the, the vistas there overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. There's a lot of great um, ski trails, but a lot of them have a lot of great history too. All right, Carl. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. I know we went a little bit over, so I appreciate that. I'm very excited about Sugarloaf 2030. And get up there and check it all out in person. Well, you're welcome to come back. Just let me know. And that was it. A good deep look at 2030. And I was pretty happy with that, I have to tell you. But the whole world changed real quick. And so you're just now hearing it. Like I said, though, I have a lot more Sugarloaf coming your way. And since there's no such thing as too much Sugarloaf, that's a good thing. Recorded already. In fact, we recorded it yesterday. I put it all together and I'll roll that thing out to you as soon as I can. So thank you all for listening to that. 
please subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. If you've already subscribed, tell your friends. The season is coming, and we all need more skiing in our inbox. Stay well. Stay safe. I'm Steve Winchester. Talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.